Okay, uh, this morning I'm just going to read, I'm going to read several different scriptures and then we're just going to, we're going to trust God for what he has for us. Okay, this is John, the first chapter, John verse 1 in the first chapter. Uh, it says, in the beginning, eternity past, was the word and the word was with God in this eternal embrace and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light that Christ is shined and still shines into the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. It did not apprehend it, it didn't understand it, and it did not overtake it. It didn't do that. Verse 10, he was in the world, that evil world system, that system of Satan, that dark world, and the world, uh, and the world was made by him. He made the earth. So he entered into the, into the worldly system of the earth that he had made, and that world knew him not. In other words, all those that were under him under his influence, under his deception. In Revelations 12, 9, he deceives the whole world just as much as he tries to deceive the Christian when we function in the flesh and will function in the flesh when our will is not submitted to Christ at all times. And so he came into the world that he made and, and the world knew him not, all those that were under the influence of the enemy. Verse 11, he came unto his own, the nation of Israel, and his own rejected him because they were still functioning under the power of the evil one. Now here is where we are, and we are the church, the great parenthesis of what God is doing right now in verse 12. But separated from all of that, and that's what we are, we're separated unto Christ through what he's done in us apart from anything that we could do other than that, that free will that he never took away, we would receive him. But as many as received him by pure grace through that faith that was not even of themselves, as much as the enemy tries to make things about ourselves, we see in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we're saved by grace. And and, and, uh, and 1 Peter uh, 1 and verse 5, we're kept by the power of God. And we, we need this power on a continual basis. But as many as received them, to them he gave, and that again is grace, power, the ability, the right, the authority to become the sons of God, even to them that would believe on his name, which were born not of blood, our past, or anything natural, nor of the will of anyone else, nor... Not, not the will of the flesh. See that? Not the will of the flesh, where the enemy comes in and accuses, nor of the will of man, but of God. And this is the beautiful part here. And the word was made flesh. Okay? He was made flesh. He tabernacled among us, and he dwelt, he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten one, of the Father. He was filled up with all that grace and truth is. And this is the thing. And this is the thing. And now we want to go to John the 10th chapter. And here's John chapter 10. 
This is, we'll read this in John chapter 10, and we'll start in verse 1. Truly, truly, I say unto you, he that enters not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. Again, I want to, we'll make this clear, and God is going to make this clear to us this morning. See, the enemy against the believer in Christ, he's a thief and he's a robber. And we're going to see what kind of a thief he is. We're going to see it this morning. But he that enters in by the door, and of course, is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the porter. The porter here is the Holy Spirit. And we know that based upon John 16, 13, and 14. To him, the porter opens, and the sheep hear his voice. Notice that, it's his voice. Juxtapose and, and, and against all these other voices, these lying reasonings that come against the believer that's in Christ. And the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his sheep by that name that he's given them, that new name in Revelation 2 and verse 17, which is the equal of the new nature that they have. He calls his own sheep by name, and you know what he continually does? He continually leads them out. And that's what he does with us. He's continuing to lead us out of the flesh because that's the place where the enemy comes in with his lying reasonings and with his destructive hate that Christ has made himself one with us, hates us. And then it says, and he leads them out, and he's the only one that does. And when he puts forth his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, because they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow. And we're going to see who the stranger is. But will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable Jesus spoke, he spake unto them, but they understood not what things they were, which he spoke unto him. Then Jesus made it very clear, and he wants to make it very clear to us this morning. Jesus said unto them, truly, truly, I say unto you, and he's speaking that to each one of us this morning, I am the door of the sheep. And all that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep didn't hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enters in, he will be saved and kept. He will be, in 1 John 5, 18, the untouchable. In 1 John 5, 18, see, the enemy can't touch our position in Christ, so he goes after our experience with all kinds of lying, murderous thoughts and reasonings, and we're going to see why it's so necessary. In 2 Corinthians 10, in verse 4, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They don't have anything to do with us, and the enemy wants to make the emphasis us. And the only way he can do that is through the flesh. And there's no hope and there's no help there. Because all our hope and all our help is in Christ. He's the treasure in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 that's within. He is all the riches that we could ever have of wisdom and knowledge and understanding in Colossians 2 and verse 3. And this is what the enemy goes after. He's the stranger. And he speaks through multitudes we know he's an angel of light in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 14. He has his ministers in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 15. He has them. And remember, we know what Jesus said, if your eye be single, 
And he constantly has to bring us back to the singularity of Christ in us. He has to always bring us back to that. To do away with the false reasonings, the lies, the murderous one. You know, in Psalm 107, verse 20, he healed them and delivered them from all their destructions. Because the enemy wants to destroy us. He can't destroy Christ in us, but he wants to destroy the vessel. And that's you and I. He wants to do everything he can to destroy it. That's why he he causes men to live in all kinds of lusts, just so he can destroy them. And so here we see, and a stranger will they not follow. They won't follow because he's the door. He said, I am the door in 10.9 of John. If any man enter in, he will be saved. And in in that salvation that Christ is, he will go in, and go out and find pasture. He won't go out the right way unless he goes in the right way. And this has to do with the specific teaching and preaching of God's word. The thief comes not but for to steal. Why does he want to steal? How does he do that? He does it through 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 5. Casting down imaginations, these false reasonings, these lies, these murderous evil thoughts. He wants to do everything he can to kill the Christian. Every single thing he can. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and having in a readiness to revenge all your disobedience. And what is disobedience? Thoughts that aren't who we are in Christ, one, God's one thought about who we are in Christ. And so a multitude of evil thoughts and reasonings come against just the fact that Christ is in us. Well, if the, the thief comes not, but to what? To steal. Yes, he wants to steal. What does he want to steal? Can he steal away us being positioned in Christ? No, but he wants to steal us away. He can't steal Christ from us, so he wants to steal us away from Christ through his lies, his murderous reasonings. All of these things that we get involved with. Well, the thief comes not but to steal, and then what? It's all he wants to do is steal. No, he wants to kill. He wants to kill. He wants to end you and to destroy you. But he, Jesus said, I am come that they might have life. Oh, yeah. And not only will he give us life, the life that Christ is in Colossians 3 and verse 4, not only the life that he's given to the individual, but he'll give others to us, and that's the abundant life, to experience the life that Christ is in each vessel to give to all of us. This is what makes it so necessary for men in 1 Timothy 2.8 to lift up holy hands, to pray, and, and without wrath or without doubting, to lift up holy hands, to lift up these holy hands for each other and ha- experience this abundant life. I am the good shepherd in 1011, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But he that is a harling and not the shepherd, whose own sheep are, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches them and scatters the sheep. He wants to scatter you and I in Christ through murderous thoughts. He never sleeps. He never stops scheming. Never, 
Never. He never does. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and doesn't care for the sheep. But I'm the good shepherd and know my sheep and have known of mine, even those that are mine. I'm the good shepherd. I know who is mine and I want mine to know me in every single area. And even as the Father knows me, even so know I the Father, then I have laid my life down for the sheep. I lay my life down. And he's laid his life down. No wonder. Everything against the enemy, to come against. Every single thing is just to try to come against those that God is for. And he want, he, again, he cannot touch our position in Christ. So he goes after the experience with these thoughts, these thoughts, and we need to constantly cast them down. But we need God's full thoughts so that we're able to do so. We're able to do so. Now, in 2 Corinthians 10, in, in, in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 1, it says, Now I, Paul, myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, whom in pre- who in presence and base among you, but being absent and bold towards you, but I beseech you that I may not be bold when I, when I am present with that confidence, wherewith I think to be bold against some, which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. You know, that's the accusation from the enemy. You are your flesh. You are your failures. You are your past. You are your present failures. And because of that, because of that, what's the sense? You might as well quit. You might as well give up. And you know, God's never going to quit on us. He can't. We're in Christ. We're positioned in him. But he does, he can't change God's mind. So whose mind does he want to change? Whose mind does he want to change? Who does he want to kill? Can he kill Christ? Oh, he tried to do that. And he thought when he did in 1 Corinthians 2, 8, 9, and all the way through, he thought he was ending him. But it was the cross that ended the enemy and did away with all his power. And the only thing that he functions in now in Ephesians 6.11 is called wiles. It is his methodia using lies and reasonings to kill you and I through thoughts. Think of the thoughts that he uses to drive God's people to so many self-destructive things because the thief has come to steal, to kill, and destroy. For though, and, and he accuses us that you're still walking in the flesh. When the Bible has made it clear, Christ has made it clear, the Word, the Holy Spirit, old things are passed away. They're not in the process of passing away. It's a perfect tense. It's complete. Action that's complete and, and continues on in that participle. It continues on. Old things are passed away. Behold, everything about you is new in Christ. Everything. That's what he goes after. And he goes after it with his lies. Because he speaks great words against the Most High in Daniel 7.25. To wear out the saints. He wants to wear us out and say, what's the sense? What is the sense? Why put up with it? Why do it? I'll tell you why. He's because he speaks great words against the Most High. What's that mean? Because he doesn't want us to experience on this earth the depth of his love. 
to prepare us for a fellowship with him, an intimacy that nothing can ever replace. And so that's what he does. Old things are passed away. We're to know no man after the flesh in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 16. And what does he want to do? He wants us to know ourselves after the flesh so he can end us. That's what he wants. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new in him in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. You see, he can't kill the position, so he wants to go after the experience to steal, to break in. He wants to break into our mind with his lies, with his false reasonings, because what? To kill. Because he can't stand Christ in us. He can't stand it. He accuses the brethren in Revelations 12.10. Listen, if, if he can deceive us, and where can he deceive the believer in Christ? When we function in the flesh, when we don't have complete dependence on him, when we don't, through the word, cast down. Is that enough to do it? Yes, it is. It's simple faith, and he loves that. It's simple, even feeble, weak faith in him. He honors it. He honors that, and he will continue to do so. Verse 3, for though we walk in this flesh, in the body, not, these, not the old sin nature, but when we walk in these bodies, we, our war doesn't have to do with ourselves. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not carnal, but they're mighty. They are mighty through God. Through God, to what? To to pulling down of strongholds. What's that? Areas where Satan has got into our mind with his false reasonings. And it's a stronghold and he holds us there. And the lies keep coming and coming and coming. Stronghold. Because he wants to hold us there long enough with those thoughts so that he can kill the experience. He can. So that he can kill the experience because you can't kill Christ in the position so he goes after the experience. This is what makes necessary the preaching and teaching that we have that God has given us. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of these strongholds, casting down these false reasonings, these lies, these imaginations in every high thing. Satanic evil atmosphere who never sleeps they never, never stop sleeping, ever. Constantly coming against us. Constantly. We know. And every high thing. What's the high thing? It's this false lies, these imaginations that constantly come against us. No wonder we need to take the shield of faith in Ephesians 6.16, whereby we're able to quench all those fiery missiles of hell that, that try to come in and consume us. And it's very necessary because until we have that, we need to have, and we do have on the breastplate of righteousness in Ephesians 6, verse 14. We do have Christ positionally. We have that breastplate of righteousness. We do have that. And our feet are shod in 6.15 with a preparation of the gospel of peace, meaning this. It's not what you preach, it's what you have. That's what it's saying there in 6.15. We have the peace of God because it's Christ himself in Ephesians 2 and verse 14. He is our peace to never leave us nor forsake us in Hebrews 13.5. That peace that he's won through the blood of his cross in Colossians 1 and verse 20. We have peace. The enemy wants to come in and disturb the experiential peace that's ours so he can kill us. 
and destroy us. That's what he does. And it's nonstop. It's nonstop. But so is his love. It's unchangeable. It's immutable. It's unchangeable, his love for us. Casting down. Look at That exalts itself against what? The knowledge of God. What does the knowledge of God have to do with how deeply he loves us and how deeply he's for us in the son of his love? Yeah. He does everything to come against us. He tries to get men to live in all kinds of lust patterns. He, he tells you this is your way of escape through what he's doing through his lies. He says this is the way of escape. Why? He wants to break in with these author, offers of sin and lust. And it's only the flesh where he keeps us in bondage. And he comes in and says you need this to escape this. Not the word, not reality, not Christ, but the lie so he can kill us. And not only kill us, but to kill others. To kill others. Well, against the knowledge of God, what does it have to do? In Ephesians 3 and verse 19, to know, experience on a continual basis the love of God that is for us, not against us. God is for us. And it was based upon his full thought, Christ. And when I think outside of that, that's the place where the enemy comes in. And that thought life is designed to do one thing. It's to kill. It's, it's a thief that breaks in to steal, kill, and destroy. And he does it. Listen, it doesn't matter who we are. And it doesn't matter where we are, whether we are in 1 John 2, 12 to 14, whether we are a babe, a young man, or a spiritual father, doesn't matter. He's not going to stop. He's not going to stop coming against us with projections. We're going to see what he does. You see, Satan always projects lying imaginations against complete faith dependence in Christ alone. Christ alone, he constantly does that. And he does it through a multitude of ways. And he has a multitude of an evil army that doesn't rest, doesn't sleep, that just looks for a place in Ephesians 4 and verse 27. And that place is where the thief breaks in and he doesn't want to just steal. He'll steal to do what? Steal away the proper image, the proper thought, our proper identity. Steal it away so he can kill us to destroy us. And he's not going to stop until we see Christ face to face. But neither does his love stop. And we're learning through these trials. In the midst of all that Satan was doing against Job and Job's three friends were using it and blaming God for it when it was the enemy. But, but Job finally said in Job 23 and verse 10, he said that I will come, these trials, but out of it I'll come forth as gold. Those trials in 1 Peter 1 and verse 7. And what the enemy means for evil, and you better believe he does. We're going to see that word evil if we have time this morning. Boy, we need time for this kind of truth. Boy, do we ever need it in detail. But in, in Genesis 50 verse 20, they may, and under the influence of evil against Joseph, they meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. How many ways did he try to kill Joseph? Did God keep him alive? Yes, he did. See, the battle is for the thought life in the mind. That's where the battle is. That's where the battle is. 
And we need to build one another up and be soldiers and to know that we're in a battle in 2 Timothy 2, 1 to 4. We are in a battle and we need to put the armor on. This is the preaching and teaching of the word of God in Ephesians 6, 10 to 17. We need to keep it, put it on. And we need to hold each other up in prayer constantly, constantly. Our whole life, our whole life in, in a sense as men, as initiators, is to give ourselves to prayer. Then he can minister the word to us and then, to, then we can minister to others. You know, my thought was this morning as the enemy has is, is come against me in nonstop in ways I, could, I, I, I would be almost embarrassed to tell you the thoughts to try and end. What's the sense, Ed? Might as well quit. You might as well quit. You might as well stop. You might as well quit. And the thought came to me, you know, we're just like little birds. And we, little birds, just newborn, can't feed themselves. They need to be fed by another. But the other feeds those little birds so those birds can learn to feed themselves and then feed others. That was the thought I had about this whole message this morning. We're like little birds in a nest, and we need to be fed. And, we be, and we're fed by the shepherd's voice, which is his thought, which is his word, which is encased in nothing but unconditional love and, and unbelievable grace and not another thing. And when I think outside of love, I think outside of grace. When I think outside of grace, I think outside of who God is in me. I do it every time, and the enemy comes in with lies, and tries to make it a present reality to do one thing, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Well, against, against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity, what's captured us? It's the love of God. He's bringing every thought back that I love you, I'm for you. I'm in, I'm with you. I am in this. And yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you, you are not to fear evil because you're with me. You read that in Psalm 23, 1 to 6. Read it. What we're walking through is the lie. It's the shadow of death. It's a shadow. It's a lie. And the enemy wants to mix, mix all kinds of lies with a little bit of truth, and it becomes a shadow but he's with us all the way through to the end, all the way through, bringing every thought into captivity, every thought to the obedience of Christ, and now having in a readiness to revenge all disobedient thinking, all disobedient lies, when your obedience is fulfilled, and he has fulfilled our obedience. There is absolutely no question about it. And Satan, he has this army that comes against us. And he wants us to feed on the air. He wants to pollute us with the pollution of his lies. And again, Satan always is projecting lies and imaginations against dependence on Christ. Against it. And it even says it in Hosea 12 in verse 1. It says, Ephraim feeds on the wind and follows after that. And it says the east wind. You know what it's saying? He said, east wind, east always speaks of resurrection life. But he doesn't, he wants us to follow resurrection life, 
okay? But not experience it because we're feeding on the wind, the lies, the prince and power of the air in Ephesians 2 and verse 2 to bring us back to all those self-destructive patterns because he wants to kill us and destroy us. Listen, that's, that's not unique to any of us. That's not unique to any one single person. He wants to kill every single one of us. You can be sure of that. He wants to eliminate every single one of us. And you're not alone. That's why we have the body of Christ. That's why we're to be vulnerable. And it's okay to be weak, because we are. But let the weak say, through teaching and preaching and oneness in the body, let them say, I am strong in Joel 3.10 and 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9. And that what the enemy means for evil, God means for good. He's going to prove it. He's always proving himself to be who he is. He's nothing but love and goodness and grace and truth. And you can't separate truth from grace and grace from truth. You can't do it and I can't do it. No one can do it. Satan is the author of all discord and disharmony and all evil thinking in the natural and spiritual world. He is. He's the cause of all chaos. That's right. But in the midst of it, in the midst of it, let the weak say, let, let them say, I am strong. You wouldn't believe the evil, the evil here. The evil, evil, and it's ekthra. Listen, the evil that he projects against us through lies, through lies, it's ekthra, it's hostility. He has this hostile, and he wants the Christian to function in the flesh because we know in Romans 8, 7, the flesh has enmity against God. And the enemy wants to use the flesh through the lies to oppose ourselves in 2, Corinthians, uh, 2 Timothy 2, verse 25. Why? Because God is for me in Christ in Romans 8 and verse 31. He's for me, not against me. That's God's thought. I am for you, and nothing can separate you. There is no condemnation in Romans 8.1. Look at it, those 39 verses. No condemnation, 8.1 in Christ, no separation in, in 8.39. And what does he want to do with his lies, his stealing and killing and destroying, is to separate us from proper thinking. He can't change the position. He goes after the experience. Even in the Hebrew, the Hebrew of that word evil is oyeb, and it almost always denotes, listen, both personal, personal enemies against you, the atmosphere against you, enemies in war on our daily life, and they never cease. Do you know in the picture, and hopefully in this booklet, in spiritual warfare, do you know when it says they held up the shield of faith? If you study that and go back into it, there was a battle. The battle lasted about 20 minutes. But that soldier held up the shield, and there were well over 200 fiery missiles in that shield that were extinguished. That shield of faith, of absolute dependence. And that shield is, all the, pers is the person of Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished and brought out to us in our experience, what he's done with us in our position. It has all to do with that. It has all to do, and it's enemies in war and the opponents that come against us, the enemy of the righteousness that Christ is in us in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30. It's, it's literally, 
It's, and he alternates. He wants to alternate between, between the fact that this is intense hostility and then be a friend of the flesh. Satan wants to make us in the flesh to be a friend so he can destroy us because that's his purpose. That is his purpose, his one and only purpose. David, even, and he got David to even to, to uh, dishonor God to his adultery and the Lord's enemies to blaspheme. The opposition becomes purely spiritual. We don't see it. It's invisible, but it's as real as anything. It's a present reality, and only the Word can bring out the invisible evil. Only the Word can do that. That's why we need to draw an eye to God. And when we do, he'll draw an eye to us. And you see that progression in James 4, 6 through 8. You see it. He has to keep us humble. What the enemy means for evil is God's way of humbling us so we don't depend upon the lies, the thoughts of the flesh, and that we run to him instantly. Run to him instantly in our experience. And But there's this ongoing hostility between the righteous and the wicked. It's a common theme. You see it even in Psalm 6, verse 10. And, and what is it? The rabbi's opponents, they included idolaters, apostates, proselytes, renegades, and wicked people. Wicked. He wants to convince you and I, yes, you're in Christ positionally, but you're still wicked. And see the thoughts that you are? That's who you are. He's a liar. He comes after us. He wants to kill us. He wants me to stop. He wants me to stop through his lies. Me, personally, and you, personally. He wants you to stop because God's love's not going to stop. It's not. It doesn't stop, and he won't stop. You see the opposition, and I want to see this. Look at all through the Acts. As I read it this morning, and, and as God was giving me, speaking his counsel to me through what the enemy was doing, coming against me to cause me to quit. You see, if he can't kill you physically, he still wants you to quit mentally and settle down in the world because ultimately he wants to, the thief comes to steal to kill and to destroy. And that's why we not only have this truth personally in Ephesians chapters 1 through 3, but we have a body where we can continue to have it and experience it in the fourth chapter of Ephesians. Then it goes into proper relationships in the fifth chapter based upon who Christ is in us and who we are in him in this marriage that God will never Christ will never divorce us and there will never be, what is it? It's a separation. He will never separate himself from us. Oh, Lord, help us. And then it goes into spiritual warfare right in the sixth chapter. You see the flow of it, marriage, and then in the very first few verses in Ephesians 6, children. And then right into spiritual warfare. A babe is right into spiritual warfare. Right into it. But we see Paul, you remember he met Christ on the road to Damascus, right? When, when the Jews, and, when, and he was one of the Jewish leaders, you see that in Philippians, the third chapter, and look at those first eight verses, and, and he was one of their top guys. But the moment he met Christ, the moment Christ became everything to him and his desire, the enemy, through the legalistic crowd, came against him. 
instantly. He went from their top guy to the most hated. That's who we are. The enemy, we were his top guy in the flesh. Because as long as he could control us, the minute we, we were positioned in Christ, he couldn't stop that. And then that through preaching and teaching, God bringing that reality into our experience, the enemy comes after us. Do you know why? You know, Israel's greatest battles, they had some skirmishes in the wilderness on their way to their promised land. But the moment they came into the promised land, that's where all the enemies came out and came against them fiercely, fiercely. And you, can, you and I can know. You and I can know that too. And we'll know it and we'll see it. And even against him. But the moment that Paul, and you see all his missionary journeys, you see them. And you see what the enemy constantly was doing. See what he was doing. Right? But I, I want to make this clear, because God makes it clear to us. Our peace, the peace that is settled with God through propitiation, substitution, and reconciliation. Our peace as to our sins is simply that they are forgiven and put away. Period. I don't want to live in them. Sometimes I want to. Sometimes I don't. Hey, listen. They're not attributed to us. They are dealt with. They're put away. Christ has borne them. If I believe in him, God has declared that I am justified, clear of all guilt and condemnation in God's courtroom. I am justified, listen, from all things, especially those lies. Especially those lies, those evil lies. And boy, do we need, and I, I tell you, God in his love for us is closing the circle on us, isn't he? You know what? He's taking us, and you know that in the principle, even in Israel. The whole congregation was on the outer side, was on the furthest way. And then there was the middle, and the middle court. And the middle court was all the, the Levites and the priests would do the teaching. And then there was the Holy of Holies where Aaron would go in. And let me tell you, in Hebrews 10, 19 and 20, Christ has opened it up. There's no more thick curtain. You see that crystal clear. There's no more thick curtain keeping us between God and God between us. And that's the curtain. The curtain there really is the flesh under legalism and the law. The do's and the don't do's. And because you did this, God is against you. No, that's a thought from hell. No, it isn't. No, he's not. He's for me on my worst day. But we, he doesn't want us to have our worst days. But even when we do, he's with us and he's seeing us through. And you better believe God's going to see you through. And don't you and I believe the enemy's lies. Because he wants to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He wants to do that. I am, I am justified, cleared of all guilt and condemnation. Already. And the proof is the resurrection in, in Acts 17 and verse 31. That curtain in Matthew 27 and 51, that between, that between the most holy place, God's very presence, and that curtain that kept those all the out, even the Levites and the priests, there's only one who could go in, and that was Aaron, and he was a type of Christ. Do you know what Christ did? He brought us in with him. He brought us right in. 
of the holy, the most holy, most pure love. It's it that that really, really brings out in the light of who we are in Christ the beauty of His love for us, the beauty of His love for us. He's brought that out by by going in, and so the whole time here, the whole time, you see it in all His journeys, in all Paul's journeys, the enemy coming against him, the enemy coming against him, because. When it, when it says in Proverbs 11, verse 25, where it says the liberal, the liberal soul will be made fat, you know, what, you know what it says in the Hebrew? It's a soul of blessing. That soul has been so graced out with the truth and blessing of Christ himself that when he waters others, he waters himself. That's what's going on. I mean, the only way that we're being watered, this truth that's being brought out, is the fact that it's all of ours. And that water is given to us so that we can water each other and then go out and win the lost. It starts in the local assembly. And he'll do, listen, he'll do everything he can to keep you from the local assembly. I'll tell you that right now. That's a fact. He'll give you every reason why. But here we see, here we see even in Acts, the second chapter. Look how they, look what they did. In, in verse 13, it says, But when the Jews of Thessaloniki, and that's the way you properly pronounce it, had, had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came there and stirred up the people. Notice that? Do you ever wonder why when you preach the truth, you haven't done anything. As far as you're concerned, you confess up to date. But all of hell's coming against you. You wonder, what's going on? Why? What did they do? Yeah. Why? Because the word of God is being preached. That's right. Christ is reaching souls and delivering them from lies, from destruction, from the enemy killing them. Why do you think that goes on? And so they stirred them up. They stirred up. What did they do? The enemy, and, and who were the Jews? They were the legalistic crowd under Satan and using the word to do it, so they thought legalistic preaching. You know, as long, again, we've said this, as long as, as legalism is tolerated, the flesh has to be tolerated. And we know the flesh in Romans 8, 7, it is strong, settled feelings of hatred against God. In all reality, that's exactly what it is. Any legalism that's taught, anything that tells you these things is a complete lie. It's a complete lie. Well, trouble they were troubled. It's that Greek word, terasso, and it means to stir up or agitate. That's what the enemy does. He wants to stir up these lies, these thought projections, these imaginations to agitate, to trouble us, to cause a disturbance. It's an agitation. It's a rising or raging thought that's set against us to throw us down and to drive us to ending it. Quit whether it's experientially or even physically, to quit. It's a setting or rushing together. It's a, a commotion of the people under the atmosphere, Satan, or a tumultuous assembly of men rising in opposition under Satan to, to law or the administration of justice in the disturbance of public peace. The enemy wants to disturb our peace in Christ experientially because he can't touch it positionally. 
These things are critical. This is critical today. Very, very, very critical. And I guarantee you the enemy was trying to do everything he could so that we wouldn't even come. Or so that we couldn't even hear. And we can't hear properly until we receive, until we're entreatable. And he'll do everything with these thoughts and these lies and these projections. I don't know when we're going to get it. I just, you know. But all that he was coming against, he was coming against this. And Paul was preaching, and all hell was coming against him personally. All hell was coming against him. Everything. And look what he was coming against. And this is in Acts 17, in verse 21. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else, nothing else, but either to tell or hear some new thing, some new lie, some new thought that wasn't the mind of Christ. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill, Mars Hill, and said, you men of Athens, listen to this, I perceive that in all things you're too superstitious. You don't think the enemy wants to make the believer superstitious? How? In the flesh. And is there any superstition in God's love? Does he know all things in 1 John 3.20? And when he brings me to a place that he knows me in Christ and knows everything about me in Christ, then I experience in 1 John 3.21 his love for me. His love for me. He loves me. He loves you. On your worst day, on your worst day, when all of hell is breaking loose on you, he loves you. And he's seeing you through because it's not only given to you, it's not only given to you, not only given to you to believe on him in Philippians 1 and verse 29, not only to believe on him, but to suffer for his sake. And that's what's going on. You're, he's coming against Christ in you. All the importance of the word of God. Again, he comes in. And he wants to make us superstitious. Listen, God's love can only flow through grace. We said this before. No uncreated, no created angel, unfallen angel ever deserved to be created. There was no desert in it. It was all grace. So God's love, which doesn't have an ounce of superstition in it, flows through grace. And when it's flowing through grace, and truth, there's never any irritation, because there's never any irritation in grace. Never. Never, 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 never. No disturbance. Look what Paul said. In all things, you are too superstitious. He wants to make you stupid, superstitious. God's against you. You watch. God's against you. And you know what you're going to base it on? These lying thoughts. And then I'm going to convince you that other people are against you. Other people are against you. Verse 23 of Acts 17. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, right, of those that you worship, I found an altar where you sacrifice everything. That's what the enemy... Well, look, with this inscription to the unknown God, you know, when I don't know him experientially, I sacrifice on, a, on an altar. You know what that's called? It's called all the lusts of the flesh. That's Genesis 3, 6. The lust of the flesh. I Listen, I, God is my judge. I wouldn't miss these mornings for all the tea in China for a second. 
for a second. For a second. You know why? Because it takes more grace and humility than that than then to be occupied with something else. Guarantee it. It's very vital today, especially for men. And I believe especially for men here. Men right here that are hearing this. I mean, I mean it too. To raise us up as little birds for God to feed us. Not only for us to be fed, but that we can feed ourselves and that we can feed others. No question about it. He said to the unknown God, he wants you, when you don't know God in your experience through lies, he wants you to worship at another altar. And that altar is the place where he wants to, as a thief, to steal, to kill, and destroy you. To destroy you. And, and to what? To not know God and to know his love for you experientially. To the unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship. How about getting tired of worshiping that bastard's lies? How about getting tired of, uh, of stop worshiping the bastardly flesh that's in us, but that we're not of any longer in Romans 8, 9? How about being men in 1 Corinthians 16, 13? Be men, strong men, standing on the foundation of who Christ is so that all our things will be done with love, self-sacrificial love. No question about that. To the unknown God whom you, what? You ignorantly worship him, I declare unto you. Their ignorance. Do you remember what Jesus said? Now read that. And we're closing in about six minutes. This is what Jesus said. Do you remember when he said this? And this is the truth that's being brought out in Acts 17, 22 and 23. Do you remember Jesus met the woman at the well? This is, and you see what he did and said to her? In John 4 and verse 21, Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour comes. Oh God, how much time do we have? Men, how much time do we think we have? How much time do you think we have to gather the word of God? How much time do you really think we have? How much time do we really and truly have? You know, that's the biggest lie of the enemy. You have more time than you really do, don't. That's the biggest lie. Read what Jesus said in John 12, 35 and 36. Read what he said there. A little while, this truth comes in. And while it comes in, boy... Hopefully it comes in because then there's times when the enemy will come in and he'll do everything he can to keep us from coming to have that light or to experience it, the light and reality of a proper image. The hour comes when you will neither worship in this mountain, legalism, law, nor yet at Jerusalem, because that's going to be done away with where all that rejection is and Jesus went outside the camp. To worship the Father. For, for you worship, you know not what. Did you hear that? You worship, but you know not what. That's because it's superstition and irritation. And just to end it. You worship, but you know not what. We know what we worship. For salvation, obviously, in Acts, the second chapter, began with the Jews. The church was formed then, by the way, in Acts, the second chapter. God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, because the hour comes, now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeks such to worship. And I'll tell you, everything came against Paul. 
And everything will continue to come against you and I. Every single thing comes against us. Every single thing comes against us. From us us being fed or to keep us from being fed and then to keep us from feeding others. Because when I feed myself, what's that going to do? It's going to cause me it's going to cause me the desire of Christ to feed others. Right? And that's again Proverbs 11, verse 25. You see? To the unknown God. To the unknown God. You look. and oh Look. Look in the 18th chapter. We're almost done. The 18th chapter. Here again is Paul. Here's Paul. Look what it says in 1811. And he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. You know what it says when you study it? He, uh, most of his teaching, when he was in Acts, approximately three full years, when he was in Acts, he taught from early morning till late midnight. <laughs> oh, boy. That's what he did. He continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Now look at this in verse 12. And when Galileo was the deputy of Achaia, the Jews made insurrection. Who were the Jews? The legalistic fleshly crowd under the inspiration of the enemy, the evil one. The evil one. Legalism. Legalism, folks, is evil. When it's not the grace and truth that Christ is in John 1.14, it's evil. They made insurrection with one accord against Paul. Do you know the whole atmosphere is in one accord against us? Against Christ in us? Wants to eliminate us? They made insurrection with one accord against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat. The enemy judging you. Because through his lies and his thoughts, he wants to bring you to a judgment seat away from a loving father because he's not our judge anymore because Christ dealt with it. He wants to bring you into his courtroom where he will judge you based upon the lies and using your past. And if I sinned and I confessed it two seconds ago, that's past, to bring us to the judgment seat, saying, this fellow, look, this fellow persuades Men to worship God contrary to the law. What's the law? Is it the Ten Commandments that any could keep in Exodus 23 to 17? No. It's the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus in Romans 8 2. That's, that set me free from the law of sin and death. That's what they didn't want. Contrary to the law of sin and death. Ha. <laughs> When I function on another law, what does it lead to? Death. What do you think the enemy wants to lead us to experientially or even physically? What? What do you think? Death. Separation. You know what? We can never be separated from him. Never. He will never separate himself from us. Ever. Never. He's for us. And that word, and we'll close with this, that word insurrection is cataphistami. Cataphistami, listen to what it means. To stand over against. To stand over against you. To rush upon, to assault you with these lies, these thoughts. To steal. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. To assault. It's from the Greek word kata, K-A-T-A, and it means down, in place or time. He wants to crush you in your experience 
about the reality of your position and place in Christ. And he constantly, with a multitude of these thoughts and these voices in 1 Corinthians 14, 6 through 11, versus the one voice of the shepherd in John 10, 3 and 4 and 27, it comes in in place and time and, and over against to charge, to charge and make you guilty, to live in guilt, to live in a lie, to live in a lie, to cause guilt. And it's from the other Greek word, epistemi, and it means to stand upon. He wants to crush us, to stand upon us, to crush us, to stand upon. And it means he's present, to be present constantly. Listen, he's constantly against us. In Isaiah 59, 19, when the enemy comes in like a flood, you know, when the enemy, not if, but when he comes in like a flood, the Lord raises up a standard against him and causes him to flee. But he wants you to stay long enough. Let me tell you when he comes against me, and I'll tell you when he comes against you, mostly when you're alone. That's right. When you're alone, he comes in against you and me. But God who's in us is for us. He's in us and he's for us. A fist to me, to stand upon, to be present, to assault us, to be at hand, to instantly be against us. Is God for us? Romans 8, 31, Psalm 56, verse 9. God for us, who against us? Thank you, God, for how much that you're for us this morning. That Jesus came, filled up with all that grace and truth is. You, and all the things that came against the beloved apostle John. And he was beloved. He always laid his head on Jesus' breast in John 13 and verse 23. He always was special. You see, you and I individually are his most special treasure. He loves us. The enemy hates us, but we're going to make more of his love than that bastard's hatred. More of his love than that bastard's hatred. And the fact of the matter is, you wouldn't believe the Gnostics, those under the influence of the enemy, came against John just like they came against Paul. And I'll close with this. They came against, they came against John as John was bringing out the glory of Jesus Christ's person. See, the enemy was there against his person while he walked the face of the earth. The enemy, the legalists, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, the whole world system under Satan coming against him, him who was filled up with all the glory and truth that he is and that he was in his humanity uh, as he walked the face of the earth. And then those same Gnostics came against Paul who brought out the reality of our heavenly position in Christ as he came against us, as he comes against us. And, and he came against Paul and he did everything the enemy could, did everything he can to, to try and kill Paul from feeding himself and you and I and feeding others. Oh yeah, he do everything he can, every single thing he can to do so. If you're wondering why you have that fiery trial in 1 Peter 4, 12, you don't have to be. Yet nothing, and nothing he's teaching us in Philippians 1, 27 and 28 to be terrified by nothing by your adversary and his lies and not giving place to him in Ephesians 4, 27. Father, we thank you so much for your love that's delivered us in Jesus' name. Amen.